Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Amen. Well, t- today I want to um, start with uh, our scripture. We're going to be in John chapter 5 primarily. I'm going to jump around just a little bit. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to John chapter 5 and, and take some notes in there. We're, we're going to be reading um, about this. There's this moment in scripture where Jesus starts to expand on his relationship with the Father. And I'm going to give you just a little bit of background uh, so you understand what's going on and what's causing the tension that Jesus is, is, is answering to to uh, some of the folks who are, who are uh, angry with Jesus. So in this moment, uh, the, Jesus and the disciples are in Jerusalem, and they've been performing miracles, and there's this one significant experience where Jesus um, heals a cri- crippled man, and he does it on the Sabbath, and it causes this tension in, in Jerusalem, and, and uh, the Jews are upset with him, and they, they, they come up to him, and they say, like, what are you doing? You can't do this. And his response infuriates them, and uh, so essentially what he does is as he's answering this Sabbath question, he makes this claim that, that he is God's son. And we're going to read about this in a moment. You see, the Jews, they, they have this deeply held belief uh, that God did not account for our Trinitarian Christian understanding of God. God Father, God Son, God Holy Spirit. They, they saw is Deuteronomy 6, which is, is powerful scripture. It's important for us to know. Um, love the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one, right? So th- there, there was this, um, this understanding that God is just one. And, and I'm not arguing against monotheism. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. Our, the, Trini- the Trinity is a really complex thing. We're not going to get into it today. Um, but what Jesus says um, it ultimately is elevating himself to a position of God because he is God. And it pushes back against the centuries, centuries of teaching that the Jews had understood. And so uh, and, and I think I think that there's many, many times in our life when when we when we see the ministry of Jesus, we 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 know that he was out healing. We know that he was uh, rescuing people. He was caring for widows and orphans and and even even resurrecting people, which we're going to talk about in a moment. And we hear those stories and we read those stories and we're like, yes, I'm all on board for that Jesus. That's the Jesus that I love. That's the kind of ministry that I can get behind. But then there are moments when the teaching of Jesus confronts our world. It pushes against some of the things that we believe and we kind of bristle up and we're almost like, I'm not sure, Jesus, if, if I if I can get on board with you here. And, and, and I think I think this is really what's happening with the Jews. Is that, is that for the first time in this moment, Jesus is, is teaching something that goes against what they understand. He's challenging, uh, their perception of God. He's reorienting them and, and they were, they were pushing back against him. Uh, and then Jesus, of course, in this chapter, he goes on to teach about his divinity and what it'd be like to be a part of the family of God, which is a really powerful thing. So we're going to pick up this conversation, um, and the words are going to be on the screen just in case you didn't bring your Bible, but I always encourage you, to, if you have your Bibles, to open up and, and take notes in there because it's, it's really important to go back and read. So we're going to start in verse 18 of John chapter 5. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. 
So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these he will show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all account to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verse 24, underline this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live for as the Father has life in himself so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now this text is full of of, of really significant stuff. And I want to just focus on two things uh, that are coming out of this. And the the first is going to be about this idea of resurrection. What does it really mean? What is Jesus talking about? And the second, I want to focus on the father-son relationship that Jesus knows and understands with his father. So we're going to begin with the resurrection. I'm going to turn back to verse 21. Uh, This is a verse 2 that you probably want to underline. This is a really cool verse. Um, Again, it says, For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. So what Jesus is doing right here in this moment is is really profound. He's he's referencing a text that was written hundreds of years before he even walked the earth. It's from Daniel 12.2. We're not going to turn to it right now, but I encourage you to just make a little note next to verse 21, Daniel 12.2. You can go there and read it um, on your own. Uh, You don't have to take my word for it, Um, but uh, it's powerful. So the text in Daniel, Daniel is referring to the resurrection of the dead at the completion of time. So this is final judgment moment. This is, this is that prophetic moment. And, and, and Jesus is saying with this statement in these verses, um, that with the onset of his public ministry, that the work of resurrection has already begun. It's not just reserved for end of time, but now as Jesus is walking the earth, doing the ministry that he's doing, that the work of resurrection is alive and real. And, and, and it's, it's, it's bigger than anyone could even imagine. Um, so, so God uh, God has this eternal perspective that many of us will never understand until we are with God in eternity. And um, oftentimes when we think about our own situation, um, we, we are kind of myopic and very specific and and, and we get frustrated maybe that, that our life isn't happening the way that we want it to because we're not looking at it uh, from the perspective of God where, where he sees the fullness of time and understands that in this moment that, uh, that God is still there. He's rescuing him. And, and, um, and so, you know, like, like uh, I think 
Obviously, God knows more than we do, and, and it's, it's kind of like parents. If you're a parent, you probably have experienced this with your child where um, your child knows everything, right? Uh, has the answers to everything possible. Even, even a nine-year-old like my son, he knows everything, and I can't speak truth into uh, his life because I don't know exactly what he's going through. But the reality is my nine-year-old son, he, what he really knows is uh, when he's hungry and what he wants to eat. He knows when he wants to play and that he doesn't want to go to school. He, he knows that um, he's tired and, and he wants to sleep, and that, that kind of encompasses virtually everything that he knows. That's his entire world. He doesn't have the full perspective uh, that I have as his parent and all the things that go into making sure that his life is good, that he is healthy, that he's not going to die, which is pretty much all I do as a parent, make sure that my kids don't die. I, I don't know about you guys, but it's almost everything that I can do just to keep them alive. My wife's in the back of the room and she's cringing. She's like, ah, because she planned. Never mind. I don't want to go into it. Um, but uh, um, like that, that's kind of the same thing where, where God has a much greater perspective than we do. And so, so when, when, we, when we fight against God or we're angry with God because of what we're going through, he's like, just wait. Just don't worry about it. Just, just settle down. Just, you know. And um, it's kind of like that, the father-son relationship. And uh, so this idea of resurrection, this moment, it's at the center of what God is doing, period. In all of eternity, in all of this, the resurrection is at the center of what God is doing. And, and I want us just to look at the range of what Jesus is talking about when he says this. He's, he's saying that life has been given to me by the Father because I am God. And he's saying, in fact, watch this. Not only has life been given to me because I am God, but I can give life to whomever I will. He's, he's, he, in a way, he's kind of flexing. And I don't mean like showing off, but, but he's, he's saying, this is who I am. And, and uh, you may remember um, when Jesus healed the sixth son of the official uh, in Galilee. It's actually found in John chapter 4. You can also go back and read about it. And um, G- essentially what happens is, is this official comes to Jesus and he says, My son is sick. And, and then Jesus responds to him. He says, Go on home. Don't worry about it. Your son's not going to die. In fact, he's healed. Son hasn't died yet, but but he's healed, and, and so I mean this is a pretty awesome one-off miracle. It's really cool. Like you, well, oh, my son was healed by Jesus. That's great. He he performs Jesus performs this this wonderful miracle um, for this man and for his son. But then in verse twenty-one, Jesus is expanding that. He's 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 saying he's saying no. Not only am I just going to heal people who are sick, I'm going to raise people from the dead. I can give life. And I can give it to whomever I will. And, and, and we see this throughout the Gospel of John. Think about the, the story of Lazarus. Probably many of you remember if, if you went to Sunday school when you were a kid and they, they had the felt board and they showed the Lazarus, you know, coming out of the tomb and he's raising up. Anybody? Is it just me? Am I the only felt board? Oh, some of you are, kid. Okay, good. Um, if, if you didn't have a felt board childhood, I am so sorry for you. Like salvation comes through felt board. I'm just kidding. That is like sacrilegious. I didn't mean to say that. Um, I need to take a drink of water. Lord, don't strike me down. Felt board's awesome though. So Lazarus, if you don't know, he was a, a friend of Jesus and he had died. He was in the tomb for three days. I'm talking full body rot. He stunk. It was nasty. And, uh, and Jesus comes and it's like without an argument, without an argument, he's like, just get up Lazarus and come forth. Come on out. He, he wasn't worried about the fact that, that he had been dead for three days. 
He wasn't concerned with that because he has power over the dust of our bones, our dry bones. He has power over that. He says, I can give life. I can restore. I can make this person complete right now. And he does get up. Lazarus, come out. In fact, um, uh, before all of this is going on, uh, he talks to, to Martha and um, and he says, he says to Martha, let me find it. Um, he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who does this good thing. When in verse 24 of John chapter five, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. That's a very present understanding of resurrection. It's not future. It's not resurrection will come. It is right now. It's alive in the lives. It's not only for then. It is now. I was listening to a famous preacher uh, preach a, a, a one-minute sermon. It was really cool. You should go find this online. Um, it, it's really cool. So uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, um, he, he, some of you probably already heard this sermon because it's on the Internet right now. Um, but the other day he was talking about this very thing. By the way, um, T.D. Jakes is from Dallas. Um, I just want to point that out. Texas. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> Every sermon, Jeremy, every sermon. No, I'm a guest preacher. This is my first time to preach, so I'm going to say it today. Um, anyway, so uh, T. Jakes, he, he was talking about um, this moment when Jesus raises uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead. It's a 12-year-old girl. And um, and he, he what happens is Jesus comes to this room, and he, he basically removes everybody out of the room except for Jairus' family, like really close relatives. And, um, and uh, then he... He resurrects her from the dead. He brings her back to life. And Bishop Jakes, he made this statement about, um, uh, like, it doesn't matter how many people have walked out of the room in your life, so the metaphorical room of your life, as long as Jesus is in the room with you because he is the one who is the resurrection. He is the one who brings life. Those other people, they may be able to care for you, but they can't bring you life like I can. And and, and he has the power over our dry bones. He has the power over our lifelessness. Right. You know, and, and this is this is why uh, as a church, we do things like the in poverty event. And I, I, I'm really anyway, because in Christ, in Christ, we have the power to bring life to people. And sometimes it requires us to give them first a coat or first some food or something to get rid of their insecurity that they have so that they can consider the good news that Christ is bringing them. There are people all around us who have had people walk out of their lives because they're tired. They're tired of hearing about the bad news that their friends are bringing to them. Like, oh, I can't believe I'm going through this again. And and I'm, I'm the same way. I understand, like, when I get impatient with people, like, why don't you just understand? Like, there's there is a better way. But Jesus... Jesus is never impatient with us. It doesn't matter how many times we come broken before him. He will always care for us. He will always meet us right where we are. And with him, we have resurrection over the brokenness and the death that is in our lives. 
verse 19 and 20. Oh, I, 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 we're gonna, we're gonna, okay, resurrection, that's good, that's powerful stuff. I wanna, I want us to focus on some of the, the father-son relationship too, uh, that Jesus had with, with his father. Um, because it, it's really significant. It's a way for us to help bring really tangible ways of, of, of parts of res- resurrection into people's lives in the name of Jesus. So let's look again at verses uh, 19 and 20. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Best way, I think, to understand uh, what Jesus is, communica- is communicating here and, and probably uh, how the Jew- his Jewish contemporaries understood what he was saying it, is through the lens of a son learning the trade of his father. And think about Jesus and his earthly father, Joseph, who was a carpenter, and how Jesus sat with Joseph and watched him work with the wood and, and was patient and was, was listening and, and doing then later what uh, Joseph was. He was he's learning these skills that... That he would soon imitate. And uh, in the same way, when Jesus is referring to God here in verse 19 and 20, he's, he's talking about how he is intimately familiar with everything that God the Father has done. He's connected to the Father. His, his activity is never independent uh, or, or self-initiated, but it's always dependent and deriving from the purpose of the Father's will. The Father, He initiates, He sends, He commands, He commissions, He grants, and, and then the Son, He responds and He obeys, He performs, and, and, and it's, it's all the will of the Father, the work that He's doing, and, 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 um, and then He receives the authority that the Father gives to Him. The Son doesn't draw inspiration from the Father, but instead He imitates Him tirelessly. He does the very same things that the Father did. And all of this is possible because the Father loves the Son. In verse 20, the word used for the Father's love of Jesus is, uh, it's in the present tense. It's an ongoing, continuous affection. The intimacy that Jesus enjoyed with his Father led to a complete disclosure of the deeper mysteries of the Father. Jesus knows and understands more about God than anyone else. And when we read about the things that Jesus did, we're seeing exactly what God would do in those situations. If, if, you, if you think about this for a minute, um, it's in Jesus that we begin to see the Father all the more clearly. Jesus isn't diminishing, he's not eclipsing the Father, but he's making him known to all of the world by how he lives, breathes, acts, and responds to the people around him. If you want to know what God is like, then you look at Jesus. If you want to know how God would treat you in the midst of a certain situation, then you look at Jesus. If you want to know how he would interact with you or 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 how he would respond to certain situations that are going on, you look to Jesus. You read the Gospels. You watch Jesus interact with the people around him. You, you watch Jesus extend grace to those who need it. You, you see who he confronts and, and, and who he he, he responds to with, with a little bit of authority. You, you, you find the heart of God by looking at Jesus. So I want us to get real practical here. See, the relationship that we see between the Father and the Son is one that we should emulate. 
We should, we should try and be like Jesus in our prayer life. We should try and be like Jesus in the way that we study Him and we study God. We should be like Jesus in how we treat other people and, and how we pray for those who are in our life. And I, I'm just going to say this plainly um, because I personally am, I struggle with this too. Like, how, how can I truly live like Jesus? It's so hard for me. And, and I, I, that's, I'm sure all of us experience some of that. Like, it's impossible for us to be like Jesus. He was the only one without sin. But we can strive to do this. And, and um, there's, there's um, a way that I look at it, and I try and I, I flip it around. When I think about what Jesus would do, I almost think about, well, what's the opposite of, of what he would do? And, um, I want us to, to look first, um, real quickly, rather, at, at John chapter 16, verse 13. The words are on the screen. You don't need to turn there. But I, I want I want to just I want us to see this because I think this helps us a little bit more when we understand how can we truly live like Jesus. When the Spirit of Truth comes, He will guide you into all of the truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. Verse fourteen, and He that's the Spirit will glorify Me, Jesus. So, first of all, I think there's a huge relief that all of us who are followers of Jesus have. If we want to be like Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit who can be our guide. The Holy Spirit who can whisper to us and tell us how to live and how to respond and how to, how to be and, 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 um, and what to do in certain moments. What we have to do is we have to learn how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. But it, Almost an even simpler way to think about this, and, and I really like this. In, in verse 14, it says that the Holy Spirit will glorify me. Which, by the way, there, there is such a beauty in the Trinitarian uh, relationship. Father, Son, and Spirit. The way that they, they defer to one another. The way that they are humble with one another. The way that they lift the others up. The way that they are, are, are working within their own community is a testimony to how we should be living in our own community. But verse 14, it says, the Spirit will glorify me, Jesus. I think when we, when we consider the, the things that we're doing, the things that we're saying, how we're treating other people, if we are bringing glory to Jesus in the midst of those interactions, then we are in the will of God. If we are not bringing glory to Jesus by the things that we are doing, then we are outside the will of God. This is a litmus test for us to understand this is how you live like Jesus. Are you bringing Him glory in the things that you're doing and the things that you're saying and how you're treating the people around you. Everywhere around us, I know that uh, we see negative effects of uh, arrogance, of pride. It's not really hard to see it. It's, it's everywhere, right? We, we see how people take advantage of others, how they selfishly treat others, and how it, it breaks those people and keeps them in, in cycles of bondage. And, and I know that when I see those things happening in our community and in our world, I think, man, there's just so much going on. There are so many different ways that people are hurting, and, and, and I, it's, it's paralyzing to, to think, how can I... 
How can I help that situation? What do I have to offer? And the reality is I don't have anything. You don't have anything. It's only Jesus in us that, that is, is good enough to fix those situations and to heal those situations. It's only Jesus. But even in the midst of that, I think how do I enter into those places to even bring hope, to even bring resurrection, to even bring life in the name of Jesus to those people? And that's one of the reasons why I'm really thankful for organizations like Chloe, like Warm, like Out of Darkness, like Vosh, who, who are, who are, into those places. And, and that's why I think as, as a church, it's important for us to support those because we're able to, to um, provide resources to make them more effective in places that we can never be affected or effective. Um, I'm, I'm thankful for all of the churches that are all over our town and in our state and our nation who are gathering together uh, uh, where two or more are gathered, where two or more are gathered, what? Jesus says, there I will be also. Where two or more are gathered, there is resurrection life. And this is a very simple way for us to understand how we can make a difference to the darkness that's in our world. Simply understanding this. That where two or more are gathered, salvation is there. Triumph over death. When you gather with your family at the dinner table, about to eat dinner and you pray to God and you thank him for the way that he has provided for you. You thank him for the life that he has given you. You thank him for the family that he has given where two or more are gathered there. Jesus is as well. He is sitting with you at that dinner table and you are modeling to your children what it means to be worshipers and followers of God. When you meet with your friends at Roosters or Panera or some other restaurant and you come together and you talk about what's going on in your life and then you care for your friend, you pray for your friend where two or more are gathered, there too is Jesus right there providing hope and life in the midst of that situation. When you come together as a small group on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night or a Thursday night and you read the Bible and you study about Jesus where two or more are gathered, there too is Jesus right there bringing resurrection life to the people who need it right then and now. To your life, the transformative power of Christ. In a moment... After we sing our last song, there's going to be an opportunity for us to, to pray, to come down front and to, to bring our troubles, our worries, our pain, our suffering to the foot of the cross. And there will be a group of people who are going to come down and they'll pray with you. Whenever two or more are gathered in that moment, so too is Jesus right there bringing resurrection, transformative power to your life. And I want to encourage you. If you feel that nudge of the Holy Spirit guiding you to take a step, to move in the direction of Jesus, then get up out of your seat and move. Come and pray. Maybe it, it's, it's outside of this place and, and, and you're at work and you, you, you sense that, that the Holy Spirit is guiding you to have a conversation with someone so that you can pray for them. Or, or maybe it's, it's in that moment when you, you feel a little bit too timid to talk about to talk about what's going on in someone else's life, a person you care for, but you just bring it up because the Holy Spirit is saying, talk to them about that, pray with them about that. In that moment, in that moment, Jesus is there bringing resurrection life. One of the things that um, I think is probably the greatest issues that's facing our nation right now is um, fatherlessness. 
And I, I was I was reading some statistics, and I don't want to burden you with a bunch of statistics about this, um, but I was reading some statistics this week. You can just go Google fatherlessness in the United States, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but uh, fatherlessness, uh, that's where, where a father isn't present at home, or possibly a father is present, but they're, they're somehow um, disconnected and um, from the family and what's going on, whether it's emotionally or um, just disconnection. These children who are raised in, in father-absent or disconnected homes are are more likely to um, abuse drugs and alcohol. They're more likely to drop out of high school. They're more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. They're more likely to experience abuse. Um, they're more likely... The, the list goes on. It's, it's troubling. It's staggering. And, and, and so as, as Family Life Pastor, I was thinking, how can I help this issue that's going on in, in, in the nation? How can, I, how can Quest do something about this? And so um, this is a shameless plug. Okay, I'm just I'm going to admit to you this is a commercial for something the children's ministry is doing. So please forgive me, but I think it's a really awesome thing. We're going to do something on November 15th called Dad and Company. And uh, what what we're going to do is we're going to take our kids ice skating at the Ohio Ice House, which is connected to the Nationwide Arena where the Blue Jackets play. There actually is a Blue Jacket game that night too, which is really cool because you can almost see the game through the windows. But we're going to take our kids ice skating. We're going to have pizza with them. It's a really simple thing, and the purpose is I want dads in our community, in this church, to be able to develop and, and, and reinforce relationships that they have with their kids so they can have those conversations and those fun moments and the memories that happen so their kids can look to their dad and say, my dad, my dad raised me well. So it, it leads to the hard conversations of, of what it means to, um, to follow Jesus or to, to, to sacrifice um, you know, for, for the kids. This is, this is something that um, I'm excited that we're doing. It's no cost uh, to, to you dads with the exception of parking, um, but, but we want to invite you to it. And if you're interested in coming, by the way, if dads, you can't make it, um, moms, you're allowed to come in their place. We'll, we will allow moms in that instance. We are going to do stuff throughout the year, though, um, that will include the whole family because it really is important for our families to come together. And Ross even reminded me after this, part of the, I, I want to encourage you also, if, if you're not volunteering in the children's ministry, this is a great way to, um, to see your kids modeling and teaching who, who God is in, in the ministry. And so come find me. I'll get you plugged in. There's so many different ways that we are trying to combat fatherlessness, a simple thing. Simple thing. Um, like I said, uh, uh, it's it's just these. It's the little things that we can do in our lives that will make a big difference. We don't have to attack the big problems, but we go in. We're just two or more are gathered. I was uh, a few years ago. I heard a story about a child uh, who was walking down the beach with their family. You've probably heard this before, uh, but it's, it made an impact on me, and it's just stuck with me. And so, as his family was walking down, they noticed that a storm from the night uh, that had passed had, had um, caused all of these starfish to come up on the shore outside of the water. Starfish, as far as the eye could see, there's thousands of them. And, and as this family was walking, um, the daughter of the family picked up one of the starfish and threw it back in the water. And the dad noticed, and, and he said, "You know, what, what are you doing?" honey. Um, and she said, well, um, I, I'm throwing the starfish back into the ocean. Uh, they can't get there on their own. And when the sun comes up, they'll probably die. And so the dad replied to his daughter, um, how much that really couldn't make that much of a difference because there were so many starfish on the shore. And this smart girl replied as she threw another starfish into the water, it made a difference for that one. 
Every little thing that we do in the name of Jesus will make an impact. When we raise our children to understand how much they are loved by the creator of the universe, it changes their lives and they can go out and make a difference in the lives of the people around them. When we sit with our friends and care for them in the midst of their hard lives, we make a difference. When we take a step out of our pew and we come down here and we receive prayer, it makes a difference. It matters. So I want to encourage you to follow that nudge of the Holy Spirit. Um, why don't you stand with me as we pray? And I want to encourage you just to be listening now to how the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you and, and guiding you, thinking through, you know, what are the ways that you can um, bring Jesus to the, to, the, to the parts of your life, to the people in your life, to the moments in your life where if you need Jesus to, to, to give you the strength, to the boldness and courage to step out and come in a moment and receive prayer. Let's pray for this. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you love your Son. We are so thankful for the relationship that you have with your Son and the Holy Spirit and how each of you cares for one another. May we see more of that humility. May we see more of that deference in our lives and in our relationships. Father, may we study the way that Jesus lived. May we study the things that Jesus did so that we can be more like Jesus and more like you, Father. May we be sensitive to the way that the Holy Spirit is guiding us and leading us so that we can walk in your will and bring you glory through our words, through our deeds. So, Lord, we love you. We pray that you would be glorified now as we sing this last song. Be glorified in the praise that we offer to you. Let us make your name great in this moment, for greatly you are to be praised. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.